0: Welcome to the St. James Sermon Podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Good morning, everyone. So good to see everyone's smiling eyes and to be here together in worship. I was at my mom's house yesterday and she said, what are you going to preach on tomorrow? And I said, suffering. Suffering. (laughs) <laughs> she started laughing, and said, well, that's a, that's a lighthearted topic, and she said, you've had a week full of that this week, so it should be good. Uh, there was a, a famous pastor that once said, you're supposed to preach these things to yourself before you preach them to everyone else, and I've had the distinct pleasure of preaching this to myself all week long. So, suffering, it's a term we are all very familiar with, and it's one that really brings up an emotional response. And so today is going to be full of hope, even though we're going to speak a lot about suffering and the hope that Jesus' resurrection gives us. So if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, or well, I guess you can't see it on the screen today, but it is in the bulletin, um, I'd like you to open to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Hear the Word of God. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and brings us with you into his presence." For it is for all of your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty and gracious God, thank You for Your Word today, and we just pray, Lord, that You open our hearts and allow the Spirit to work in us as we impress this message of hope upon us. Lord, thank You for sending us Jesus. Thank You for His resurrection, that we may carry it with us every single day, especially in our suffering. In Jesus' name. So Webster's defines suffering as the state or experience of one that suffers, which then leads us to have to define what it is to suffer. And I like the definition of words because words have meanings. I never thought I would be such a word file until I became a pastor, and now I realize the importance of all of these words that we use and the deep meaning that they have. And so it defines to suffer as to submit or be forced to endure. We all know what that feels like. Or to feel keenly and labor under to undergo an experience or to put up with, especially, as inevitable or unavoidable. And I know that we have all experienced this type of suffering, especially the inevitable and the unavoidable. And many of us recently, in the last year, in the last month, in the last week, in our family, we've experienced this in a very real way in this last week. Slanderous things were said against us and some, some attacks on our character. And then to top it off in the middle of the week, the sewer mainline drain backed up in my basement at 8 o'clock at night. That is suffering, especially when the plumber says they can't come until the next day. (coughs) And so, um, we're going to see here that Paul, too, was no stranger to suffering. He had people telling all kinds of lies about him and had incredible struggles through his life, especially after he encountered Christ and became a believer. And so what we're going to see today in our passage is how Paul uses his faith and Christ's resurrection to encourage us not to lose hope amidst our suffering. And this passage is biographical. It gives us profound insights into Paul's life. He isn't just a teacher, but he has this life that we should want to try and emulate because he's demonstrated what it looks like to walk with God, and not just when times were easy, but when things were incredibly difficult. And you see, friends, the church in Corinth was a giant mess. It was full of false teachers. They were pushing legalism, and they were really motivated to discredit the things that Paul was saying, because he was preaching this gospel of, of salvation through faith in Jesus alone. And so Paul feels compelled to respond to these people that are attacking him because their lies and their heresy demanded a response, and he's responding not to be right, but he, he wants to set the record straight about what the gospel says. And so the false teachers that are attacking Paul, they start by attacking him by, by telling him that he's weak and imperfect. And they said these things in, a, in an effort to discredit him, because they really wanted to minimize the things that he was saying. And they thought that if they made him out to be weak and powerless and imperfect, it would actually strengthen their legalistic case against him. So Paul does the one thing that they don't really expect. He embraces these things. He agrees with these things. And he makes it known that that his weakness isn't something to discredit him. Instead, it's this really important credential that he carries around with him, which also means it's an important credential that we should also carry with us, because it's through this weakness that Paul actually gains his strength. It's through this weakness that he is able to overcome his suffering. And that's where we're going to see that this same weakness, this dependence on God, is what's going to allow us to be strong and to overcome our suffering, because Paul's imperfections and our imperfections are what help us realize our total dependency on God. And it's only through this dependency that we can be strengthened and resolved to fight against things like heresy and and tyrants and false teachers, and we can actually approach our suffering joyfully. Because these false teachers probably also claim that Paul was suffering because he was a sinner. But the truth of the matter was that Paul was actually saved from his sin, but he was suffering at the hands of evil men. And this is probably a good time for me to remind you that none of us here are sinless people. If anybody didn't commit any sins uh, this morning, if you just please raise your hand so we can can acknowledge you. Exactly. And if, if being sinless was a requirement for me to be up here, I wouldn't be here, Wayne wouldn't be here, Eugene wouldn't be here, and neither would the forefathers of our religious tradition. Look back at some of these forefathers. Abraham, he lied and said that Sarah was his sister not once but twice. Moses murdered an Egyptian and had a pretty big anger problem. Uh, David, murder and adultery. Peter denied Jesus. And even Paul, Paul refers to himself as the chief of sinners and becomes one of the most important persons in our church history, if not all of human history. So, what we're going to see today is that Christ's resurrection has direct impacts on our lives and how we respond to suffering, just like it did Paul's. And through His resurrection, we have the opportunity to learn to be humble and invincible and sacrificial and faithful and hopeful, and these become our keys to our strength amidst our suffering. They allow us to stand firm no matter what is going on in our lives. So, with that, let's jump into the text. So we go back to words. In the ESV, verse 7 begins with the word, but... And this provides a direct contrast to what is said in the, the previous verse, verse 6, which says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This light of God shines in our hearts so that we can give the light of the knowledge of the glory of the God in, in the face of Jesus. And this is pretty amazing. This is actually a treasure, which is how Paul refers to it in the beginning of verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. And think about treasure. If you had treasure, where would you keep it? So for us, uh, I keep all of our valuables in this giant fireproof safe in my office. It's like five and a half feet tall, it weighs about 900 pounds, it's fire resistant for 40 minutes to 1200 degrees. Everything that's important in our life gets locked in that safe. Passports, birth certificate documents, adoption documents, death certificate for my father, any of our other valuables that I really want to protect, I lock away in the safe. But Paul here is mentioning the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, the treasure of the gospel, the most important, most priceless treasure ever, a treasure that is surely more important than the things that I keep in the safe in our house. And then where does he tell us it is stored? He tells us it is stored in jars of clay, which in Greek translates to earthen pots. And, And these earthen pots are really cheap things. They're breakable, they're easily replaced. I like to think of it kind of like the worst piece of Tupperware that you own in the Tupperware drawer, especially after you've replaced to try to have one complete set of Tupperware. So your friends come over for dinner, and then you send them away with leftovers of foods, and you grab the worst of the Tupperware to give them because you have zero expectation of getting it back. Even when they say, hey, we'll bring this back to you Friday, you're like, no, no, I don't need that one. It doesn't match anything else. Feel free to toss it when you're done. That's what these earthen pots are. And and even in the first century, not only were they disposable, they were used to carry things like garbage and waste. And so Paul uses this reference to show us how God works through the humble, the breakable, the replaceable, the normal, the common people, real people, sinful people, us, that the greatest treasure in the world is stored in everyday people and that the power lies not in the container, but what the container holds. It's not about the messenger, but it's about the message. And so these, these clay plots remind us that the container shouldn't get the glory, but the treasure inside should really get the glory. And this, this foundation of humility is so important to Paul because it allows him and us to realize that life isn't actually about us. Instead, it's about Christ and his message, which we are to carry faithfully everywhere that we go. So, so we talk about how Paul is humble and how he considers himself weak and why it is important for the treasure and not the vessel. And then we jump into verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. So, Paul speaks about our strength despite our suffering. And this can actually seem like a foreign concept to a lot of us because so much of our life is spent avoiding suffering. Whole industries have been built in the secular world to avoid suffering, and there's even religious movements that will tell you that your suffering is just its an illusion of the mind, that it's not actually real. One organization I found online that advocates for removing suffering from your life had this, this gem of advice that said, you should just wish yourself happiness. Wish for an end to your suffering. Give yourself a mental hug and comfort yourself. If only that worked. And this is definitely not Paul's approach, and I don't actually think it should be ours either because Paul is a straightforward guy, and I like to think of myself as a straightforward guy, which is probably one of the reasons I like Paul so much. And Paul says we are afflicted in every way, not just some ways, but every way. And then in verse 9, he tells us that we are persecuted, and I'm sure everybody here at some time in their life has felt persecuted. and and probably felt persecuted for being a believer. Uh, Affliction and persecution, things that we are no strangers to in 2021. And staying true to God's Word in our current culture is not easy, And, and it wasn't easy for the church in Corinth either. They were struggling under the same kinds of pressures that we are feeling today. Culture was pushing on them just like it pushes on us from all sides, trying to get them to deny and renounce the truths of God. Even today, we can get labeled as uncaring and bigoted and mean and divisive and non-inclusive and backwards and attached to old myths and fairy tales. Kristen had an atheist once tell her that we were just worshipers of a zombie. Ooh, That's heavy stuff. But Paul's going to show us that instead of leaving us with this confirmation of our affliction and suffering, he actually gives us contrasts we will be afflicted in every single way, but it doesn't crush us. We will be perplexed, but we aren't driven to a place of despair. We most certainly are going to be persecuted, but we're, we're not forsaken, and you will be struck down, but you won't be destroyed because instead we're invincible." And This isn't the invincibility that I had wanted when I was a kid, like a a comic book caricature of invincibility where you can leap off the building, jump, and land on the ground and not die. Instead, this is real invincibility. This is life-changing invincibility because it is holy invincibility. It is an invincibility that is wrapped in Christ's resurrection. It is the strength to stand firm in the gospel no matter what pressures are coming at us from any side, no matter what society or secular culture demands of us, that no no matter how strong the pressure is, how hard the persecution is, that there's hope. And there's this, this beautiful hope that comes from Christ's resurrection, from His sacrifice, Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. Again, this word always. Paul doesn't just sometimes think about and carry with him Christ's resurrection. He always carries Christ's resurrection. It's the focal point of his life. It should be the focal point of our lives. That war cry of He is risen, it's not just for Easter, it's for every single day because we carry in us the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may manifest inside of us. There's a fact. The people that hate God persecute His people, because sin and evil are real. And there's a long history of, persecute, of people persecuting believers for no other reason than they believe in Jesus, especially in legalistic systems, because Christ is King over all heaven and all earth. He, and, and think about if, if you are a ruler or a tyrant that is full of pride and a desire for power, This becomes an incredibly threatening concept. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18, says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. All authority. Because Jesus is king over everything. So if if you're a tyrant and you demand allegiance to you, Christians in Christ become incredibly threatening, and we see this today in places like China and North Korea and Iran, where the church is seen as a direct threat to these tyrannical regimes. And so these Christians are persecuted just for their faith, and they experience direct suffering as a byproduct of it. And so, however, what Paul's going to remind us is that instead of suffering dragging him down or dragging us down, it's actually going to strengthen him, and it should thus strengthen us. And we see it with these Christians in hiding in those those places like China and North Korea and Iran, and I've been fortunate to read some books by, by folks that are Christians worshiping in secret in these countries who are under the constant threat of persecution and death and imprisonment, not just for them, but for their whole families, just for believing in our loving God. And you see that that their faith isn't weaker because of their suffering. Their faith is actually stronger. And that's what Paul's telling us here about his suffering and our sufferings. They become purposeful sacrifices that allow us to see the power of God being unleashed in our lives. There are growth points. Does anybody ever look back and say, man, I really grew so much after all those easy things that took place in my life? No. We always grow from the most difficult things that are placed in our lives. And instead of running away from suffering here, we actually get to use it to glorify God, to stand firm in Christ's sacrifice, and to live in the light of His resurrection. He suffered, we will suffer but He comforts us in our sufferings so that we may approach them with our heads held high and full of hope. In verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak. Paul speaks here about having the same spirit or the same attitude of faith, and then he goes on to quote Psalm 116.10, I believed, therefore I spoke. And and Paul quoting this seems to indicate that he has a similar trust as David did, and David suffered quite a lot. So, Paul is connecting David's perseverance through suffering to his own here and also acknowledging the fact that righteous people will suffer for their faith. But despite these sufferings and the pressure not to share the gospel, Paul feels compelled to continue to do so. He's actually unable to stop sharing and preaching the gospel because he had unwavering faith, and he continued to preach regardless of the cost. And we have to ask ourselves if we see that in our own lives. How many of us lack deep conviction in our hearts? How many of us are willing to roll over and throw in the towel when things get really difficult and the the pain pressure gets applied because we want to just end the pain? And recently, uh, I was at dinner with a, another pastor friend of mine, and he said, I... I I really wish that people would associate Christianity with resilience, that we really need to be building up resilient Christians, that when people think of us as believers, they think of us as people who can hold our heads strong in light of suffering because of our unwavering faith of Jesus, and they know that we are resilient people. And that's what we as pastors are called to do here, as Paul was called, to share these, these messages of hope with you to help build resilience, to help stand firm in our faith, that no matter what pressure is being applied to us, we stay true to the gospel, and then we get to strengthen one another just as iron sharpens iron. That's why it's so important that we come here together as the body of Christ, not just to sing and worship, but to strengthen one another, to be accountable to one another, to assist each other in our sufferings, because we are brothers and sisters. We are a family. And see, the Bible provides us this spine, this resilience, so that that we never have to waver from the narrow path that we are called to walk. And this isn't an easy task, but it is a crucial one for the church and one for us because when we seek comfort and prestige and popularity, it actually shows our weak confidence in the real truths of God. But when we stay true to God's Word and we embrace our suffering with our heads held high, we share not just in Christ's sufferings but in His comfort too. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in His comfort too. The true believers, those who Christ has worked in their hearts, those who carry with His death and resurrection with them daily, we have no choice but to continue to speak the truth. Martin Luther, when he was on trial for his faith at the Diet of Worms, he defiantly declared, Unless I can be instructed and convinced with evidence from the Holy Scriptures or with open, clear, and distinct grounds and reasoning, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God, then I cannot and will not recant, because it is neither safe nor wise to act against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen." My prayer for us as we think about this and internalize this is that Christ's death and resurrection will allow us to stand faithfully on the Word of God through our sufferings, and always proclaiming the truth of the gospel and the truth of who Jesus is. And this is where it starts to get really good. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. This is the hope that we get from Christ's resurrection. Paul tells us in no unsure words that we know that he who raised Christ will also bring us into his presence. This is what provides us the immense hope, because it's a promise, and it is a guarantee, because only God can raise the dead. And if Christ was raised, so too will believers in Christ be raised, because it gives us purpose for our sufferings. On Mother's Day, we had a couple of the grandmas over, and the topic got to Jesus as it normally does at our dining room table. That should bring you comfort, that your pastor talks about Jesus a lot at his dining room table. And we were discussing the practical implication of our faith and our suffering. And at one point, my mom made a very astute comment that she said that without a belief in God, life is meaningless. I couldn't agree more. Without God, all suffering is meaningless, which in turn would make our lives meaningless. And it is through our faith in Christ that our suffering on His behalf takes on meaning. And think about the people that you, you have in your life that don't have the foundation of Jesus and His resurrection as the guiding principles of their life. They are not happier people because when that suffering hits their life, there isn't a bigger purpose to it. That's really heavy. That's why this word is so important for us to share and proclaim those truths because it gives us meaning. Meaning. Paul goes on and tells the church in Corinth that he did everything for their sake, and he points back to his humility and his selflessness, but his goal was bigger, that through his suffering, his grace actually extends to more and more people, that that this grace increases thanksgiving, because it reminds him and it reminds us of our dependency on God, which then allows us to be more thankful and more grateful to God. MacArthur, in his commentary, says clearly, Paul's goal was never his own comfort, reputation, or popularity, nor was it ultimately the salvation of others. The final goal of Paul's selfless, sacrificial service was that more voices would be added to the hallelujah chorus of praise and worship to God. Friends, to to be a follower of Christ is the opposite of living a passive life. It requires us to be active and engaged in every aspect of our lives for God's glory. It is selfless, and through it we are given this incredible charge. And that charge should motivate us to share the saving gospel to everyone we meet and to apply it to every aspect of our lives. And then that will allow us to approach our suffering through the lens of Christ's resurrection so that we can remain humble and selfless and also never backing down from our gospel of truth. So we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to stand firm in our strength, in our faith, with a strong spine, courageous and rooted in invincibility, living out Christ's sacrifice and His resurrection every single day? Because like Paul says in verse 16, he says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our physical bodies will wither away. Every single person in this room, no matter how hard you try, will die. We will all die a physical death. But think of the encouragement Paul is saying here. We are being renewed day by day, minute by minute, second by second, nanosecond by nanosecond, because God's unending and renewing love for every single person here. Because our momentary affliction is just that. It's momentary And while it may feel like an eternity to us, and I guarantee at 8.30 at night when the sewage is coming up in the basement and the plumber says, we could be there tomorrow morning, it's not actually an emergency, that time period of about 12 hours feels like an eternity. But it's not, it's just a moment. It's it's a blink of an eye. It is nothing compared to the eternity that we get to spend with our Creator when our time on this physical earth is over. And our physical suffering doesn't weaken us. It increases our spiritual strength. It increases our resolve. It proves our ability to be able to endure anything for Christ's sake and all things. And lastly, verse 18 kind of ties it all together so beautifully. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our focus isn't on what we see, it's on what we don't see. Our focus is on eternity. Everything in this world is temporary and finite. Uh, This building eventually will crumble and fall. But Jesus is infinite. His resurrection proved that not even death, not even the grave could hold Him. And see, all of this today, friends, should provide us hope and resolve Because Paul was no stranger to immense and intense suffering, yet he had the secret to endure it, no matter how painful it was, because his focus was on eternal things. His suffering had purpose, and he realized that it was a way to share with Christ and even more so to be comforted by Christ. So we must look at our sufferings, these momentary afflictions, through this same lens. Our suffering allows us stronger fellowship with Christ because we know these things will be guaranteed to us if we are followers of Jesus. But through them, as truthful and faithful believers, as invincible believers, we will have no choice but during them to continue to proclaim the gospel because we do it from this place of humility because it's not about us. It's not about the container. It's about the treasure that's held inside it. And we can live strong knowing that we are invincible. As Christ conquered death, we too shall conquer death. Because we are not a people that fear death or persecution or suffering. We stand firm in Christ's sacrifice, which only increases our faithfulness. Because we are a people of hope. We are not a depressed people. We are a joyful people. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength because we are not defined by the earthly sufferings or the things that happen here. We are defined as citizens of Christ's kingdom, the everlasting kingdom promised to us through Christ's resurrection. And we live in hope of the resurrection every single day. And we do this as a people where the Bible is a foundation for life for us. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. All of this allows us to truly understand how our weakness is really our strength, our dependency on God, knowing that firsthand, that our sufferings will produce endurance and maturity, and they will show us that dependence on God, a God that loves everybody in this room personally and that our lives here have supreme meaning and purpose and that is to glorify God in all of his wonder and to live worthy of our callings as Christians. I'd like to wrap up with a quote from John Calvin's commentary on 2nd Corinthians on this particular passage which really kind of wraps it up and, 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 and brings it together. He says that the life of Jesus here is the best antidote to adversity That as Christ's death is the gate of life, so we know that a blessed resurrection will be to us the termination of all miseries. Inasmuch as Christ has associated us with Himself on this condition, that we shall be partakers of His life. In this world, we submit to die with Him." Let's pray. Gracious God, thank You so much for Your Word and for Your Son, and for this hope that we carry with us despite the sufferings that we may feel. Lord, remind us that these, these afflictions and persecutions are just momentary, that they are, are just a flash in the greater scheme of eternity that we get to spend with you, that we wait with, with joyful anticipation of being reunite, reunited with you, our Creator. For you are the God of love and the God of light, and you have provided this amazing treasure that us is just clay jars can carry around with us that we may re- remain humble and sacrificial and faithful and invincible and hopeful in your word always. In Jesus' name. St. James is a Presbyterian church located in Littleton, Colorado. Find us on the web at www.sjpres.org or email us at contact at